You're listening to Psalm Sketches with Matt Flegel. Today I'm excited to talk to you about Psalm 14, a psalm that is often quoted and is actually quoted in one of the most theologically important passages in the Apostle Paul's writings. But let's begin with a musical sketch in which I'll try to express some of my thoughts about the psalm. says in his heart there is no God to save me or berate me to break me or betray me let me live my life an orphan here the Lord looks down Lost your heart and won't rest until you're safe at my breast. I'll break my heart to get you back. The demons laugh at such pests and mongrels. Tear their maker to shreds And pour your wrath on Christ's head But it was all your plan The mystery of man and God The mystery of man and God The fool says in his heart, there is no God. This uh, quote is used a lot. Uh, This quote by David about the posture of the pagan heart, right? Uh, It's interesting that most people in the world that David uh, would have encountered when he wrote the psalm were actually uh, theists, perhaps polytheists, pagans, who believed in a universe of many gods, uh, and uh, and so for him to say that the fool says in his heart there is no God uh, is probably more of a reference to denying the God of Israel. In the New Testament, of course, this whole passage uh, in Psalm 14 is used to describe the innate uh, sinful behaviors of all human beings. Uh, let's go ahead and read the psalm uh, together, and then I will kind of unpack that a little bit and talk about why I wrote the song the way I did. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. 
they never call on the Lord. But there they are overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Many people don't read past the first verse of the psalm because it is one that is so often quoted. There is no God, says the fool. Today we live in a world that is more populated with really popular thinkers who have championed atheism or at least a type of agnosticism that that considers the concept of God so distant and hard to verify scientifically that it's not worth believing in or embracing as a uh, foundational principle of your life. David in this day would have been challenging a different kind of uh, atheism. He would probably be speaking here more about two things. One, those who know of God and yet deny with their lifestyle the reality that there is a God who judges the behaviors and the thinking of human beings. But of course, also, if you read through the entire psalm, David is targeting here in his judgment those who are outside of Israel, the Hebrew people, who are challenging Israel's protection by God, who believe that they can manipulate these people of God and use them because there is no God to answer to. Because there is no one in these pagans' view who will actually defend Israel. And David expresses anger against this point of view and against the the movements of these enemies of Israel to make mischief or suffering uh, come about in the lives of the Hebrews. I think that uh, today, when we read the psalm, of course, we apply to it the lens of the New Testament, which often clarifies or uses Old Testament passages to a slightly different end. Uh, Paul, the apostle, quotes from this psalm while explaining the concept of the sinful nature, which he believed was inherent to all human beings, that everyone is born with a propensity to and, and even a tendency to make selfish choices that displease God. And so he makes that argument as a case for understanding why Jesus Christ had to die to redeem uh, all human beings. That since there is a distance between God and man, caused not just by the sin of the first man and woman, but also by this perpetuating of the sin life, of the sinful nature in humanity by everyone who came afterwards, Paul makes the case that a new man had to enter the picture atone for those sins as a sacrifice, and then provide a way out of a life of sin into a new kind of life, a Holy Spirit-led life, um, the sanctified life, as many Christians say. So certainly there's a lot in the psalm about the nature of mankind. David is really defending uh, Israelites here, his people, against the attacks of sinful and, and ungodly people. But there is a suggestion in here, and Paul picks up on it, that all people, including the Hebrews, were um, struggling with a tendency to sin. And whether or not they acknowledge the existence of God, they often lived as though they didn't believe in God. And that is certainly uh, an application of the psalm that is not only valid, uh, but very, very important for us to come to grips with. Often, I think, uh, as we spend many years in our faith, 
uh, growing and learning, we begin to believe that our capacity to do evil, that our capacity to deny God in one way or another, whether denying his existence or denying him in a practical sense day to day in our life as our our God, our creator, our, our Lord, that this is something that does affect us and sometimes can cause great suffering in our lives, especially spiritual suffering. And all real spiritual suffering, I think, is this is that feeling of distance between you and the God that you want to be connected to and to be in relationship with. So when we look at this psalm, what really comes to my mind is a picture of God's heart for humanity. If humankind is, in fact, as evil as David paints humankind as being throughout this entire poem, then why is it that God would be motivated to send Jesus as his solution to the problem of human sin? And that is something that's hard to answer, but it's certainly inspiring uh, that God's love would go to that limit of sacrificing his own son, of, uh, as I wrote in the, in the psalm sketch, of breaking his own heart in order to reconcile mankind to himself. Jesus uh, found this idea to be extremely significant to the gospel message. Um, of all the parables Jesus told, probably the most poignant is the story of the prodigal son, uh, uh, a story about a son who takes his father's inheritance early, who storms out of the house, who squanders the money, who finds himself starving, broke, and alone, and returns to the father, only to find that the father was waiting for him the whole time. Jesus is very, very concerned that his followers understand God's willingness to redeem, God's willingness to save, that God is eager to save people and to reconcile them to himself. And so when I was writing the sketch, I started with that picture of people denying God, of wanting to be orphaned and separated from God. Because there is, as as Paul says, I believe in Romans, the sinful mind is hostile to God. God is not our enemy, really, in, in our minds until he enters the picture and places demands on our life and then our selfishness springs up and we reject his counsel. When I talk to people who aren't Christians or hear people who aren't uh, believers in Christ talk about their lives, I've noticed that they're very sympathetic to religion in many cases until they find a place in their life where their behaviors don't line up with what God expects from humanity. And uh, whether it relates to the way that they they work, the way they eat, the way they're uh, they practice sexuality, or whether it's it's how they treat their fellow person, whether they're willing to forgive or not, that's when this sort of reactionary, reflexive anger springs up. And for many people, whether or not they really believe intellectually in a God, these people live as though that God has nothing to do with their lives, with no bearing on their lives. And that is just, I think, as spiritually dangerous as denying that a God exists at all. But the beautiful thing, as I said before, is that God, even when approaching a soul that has a hostility harbored towards him, reaches out and tries to restore that relationship. And that's why uh, the second stanza of that song I wrote uh, is the one that moves me. I think when I first wrote the song, I remember feeling like I was going to break down and weep uh, the first few times I sang that second stanza, where sort of trying to voice God's perspective, I say, I'll break my heart to get you back. 
Meaning it's not just that God threw mankind out of the Garden of Eden uh, after the sin, after the rebellion that entered the picture of paradise, but God himself is waiting eagerly to draw humankind back in, first through his law, and then through the prophets, and then ultimately through Jesus Christ and the giving of his Holy Spirit. All these are sort of love songs or overtures of love to bring us as humanity back into a relationship with himself. God has not given up on creation, but he is restoring and redeeming us. Uh, It is something that would not make sense to the, the evil forces in the world, particularly the spiritual forces of evil, the demons that uh, Scripture talks about. Uh, demons, at least in my imagining, uh, would, would sort of mock God for this. And I know John Milton, the famous um, 17th century poet of England, kind of depicted uh, the demons as being at war with God over this issue, that they felt that humankind lacked the dignity and the worth for God to first create them and then to love them and, and to cherish them and to even forgive them. And therefore, their goal is to thwart the relationship between God and humanity to wreck or somehow sabotage or hijack what God is trying to do through the gospel to reconcile broken and lost and hollow human beings to himself. So as I read through the psalm, I see not just here a depiction of how to argue with people who don't believe in God, but a picture of how the human heart tends to resist God's overtures of love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his patience. And how we have to be careful that even as redeemed and, and you know, born-again Christians, that we have to be careful not to slip into that same state of mind where, yes, we acknowledge God with our lips, but as the scripture says, our hearts are far from him, which to me can be as dangerous or maybe in some ways more dangerous, dangerous than an outright denial that God exists than to know he exists and still live as though he does not. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, reflection on Psalm 14. I know you probably have additional thoughts about it. Read it for yourself. Maybe memorize a verse out of it or memorize the whole psalm if you're courageous enough to give that a try. You can ask me questions or share your thoughts as always at Psalm Sketches on Twitter or psalmsketches at gmail.com and I'll try to get back to you. Thanks for listening. Let me live my life an orphan here.